the crazy thing, and I think this is what what the impact that it had on me was that was just normal. I didn't know anything else. I thought that was what you do. Uh, and so um, now, especially now with my daughter, I've realized consciously or unconsciously, I've sort of modeled my life on the same thing. Like I, I, I don't, you know, have a job per se. <laughs> I, uh, I run this podcast. I built this community on the internet and, and I sort of, you know, get to live my life according to, <laughs> according to my, my rules. <laughs> Hello and welcome everyone. I am Jory Calkins, the founder and CEO of Enduring Companies and the host of Built to Outlast, a podcast and community for business builders by business builders. We explore the journeys and companies of business builders in America with a focus on traditional small to mid-sized business niches and the strategies which enable them to endure and flourish. If you are building a business now or aspire to build one in the future, this is for you. To join the Built to Outlast community and access episodes, show notes, and other community resources to support your journey, please visit builttooutlast.com. If you have or know a business that may be sold and care who the buyer is, or if you want to buy or build a business and care who you do it with, please visit enduring.co to learn more about us, our long-term approach, and our holding company. Welcome, everyone. Today, we are speaking with David Rosenthal, who is not only a great friend of mine, but also the co-host and co-founder of the Acquired podcast series. Welcome, David. Oh, thank you, sir. This is so, so fun. Such an honor to be one of your first guests. Well, I'm very, very glad to have you. And uh, I'm excited to hear we are or I am way earlier on in this journey than you. So I'm excited to, to learn about that, that journey. Hopefully you can learn from all of our mistakes. <laughs> That's the goal, right? We just compound and, and make each other better. Amen, my brother. <laughs> I'd love to start with whenever you want to start in terms of growing up, if it's one-year-old David or three-year-old David, but would love to, you know, where where did the DNA start that uh, has led to where you are today and who you are today? That's uh, led to this crazy... Uh thing i do i don't know <laughs> what, what a crazy <laughs> you said life it, i did <laughs> oh man you know it's funny I, I was just talking about this recently like um so gosh we're recording this what is this may 2022 so just about two and a half years ago not quite you know i had been a professional venture capitalist you know jory and i went to business school together you know very like you know traditional investment banking blah. i'll go back i'll tell all this stuff but you know, I had a respectable career. And then about two and a half years ago, <laughs> I was like, you know, I'm going to become a full-time podcaster. <laughs> and uh, nobody understood. Like, everybody thought I was crazy. Uh, I still am crazy. But uh, yeah, it'll be a fun to, to talk about this journey. Let's see. Okay, so all the way back, where's a good place to start? I was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Grew up in the suburbs, Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm an only child. That probably has a lot to do with uh, <laughs> what's going <laughs> we'll, we'll on. We'll unpack that. We'll <laughs> unpack that we'll, later. We'll definitely, definitely unpack that. My parents had, you know, it's so funny. You know, I have a seven-month-old daughter now, and you, know, you have two kids. And I was starting to realize even before we had our daughter, but especially now, like, God, the, just the huge influence that my parents had on me. My parents are are wonderful they were lawyers um, when I was growing up. Not podcasters? My upbringing. Not podcasters. You know, you think like, gosh, okay, lawyers, like conservative, you know, professional career. You know, they were the um, 
my dad was the first person in his college in his family to go to college my mom was was not the first but you know they were the first professionals in their in their family you know you'd think they would have raised me to be conservative you know also go to law school have a stable career nothing could be farther from the truth that i'm so grateful to them they were entrepreneurs so when i was two years old they had been working at big corporate law firms separate corporate law firms in in philadelphia and commuting in from the suburbs and uh for a variety of reasons me and spending time with me being a big one of them they left their firms they started their own law firm in rinky dink westchester pennsylvania the two of them working together they had you know at various points in time along the years a few other people with them but mostly it was just them it was just you know support for them and they opened up their own shop and they did you know they lived their lives and ran you know our family as they wanted to you know they took the clients they wanted they worked when they wanted you know they took all the risk they took all the upside uh they made their office was where they wanted you know they didn't have to commute into the city anymore they came to all my stuff growing up you know maybe maybe to my chagrin sometimes like they were at literally (laughs) everything i did and i was like okay it's it's a little much (laughs) but uh but so you know that that was one aspect and then you know a total completely another totally orthogonal unexpected entrepreneurial journey that they went on and that i observed growing up when i was in middle school they got the opportunity to become small investors in a minor league baseball team that was wow. going in in uh wilmington delaware which was we westchester's right near the delaware border and uh so they they bought very small amount you know very small minority investors in uh in this uh single a minor league baseball team and uh that took them on this next just crazy entrepreneurial journey the few of their partners there they ended up building a like a minor league baseball empire (laughs) Uh, they started their own league an independent league of minor league baseball teams we're getting way digression here but but this is actually relevant for you know entrepreneurship so in in baseball a a lot of sports you know (laughs) have weird business dynamics major league baseball has an explicit antitrust exemption from the government so like they're not subject to any collusion laws antitrust whatever so like other sports don't have the degree of exception that baseball does so it's nice when your lobbyists get you that right exactly exactly (laughs) i can't remember how the history of how this happened but um so one of the consequences of that is that all of the teams, all the organizations in Major League Baseball and then the, the minor leagues that are affiliated with the Major League teams, they can block teams of any of uh, any affiliated teams, major or minor league, from you know going into any town that is within a certain radius of a major league stadium. So on the East Coast, you know, there's tons of base, Major League Baseball teams on the East Coast. There's the Phillies, there's the Yankees, there's the Red Sox, there's, you know, like you name it, the Orioles. And basically that meant that if you wanted to put minor league teams in very attractive small towns that would have been great markets for minor league baseball teams you couldn't because like you know you the the big crown jewel that you know my parents and, and their partners realized that it was that if you could put a team a minor league baseball team on long island that would probably work really well there was no minor league baseball on long island <laughs> there are like 30 million people that live there all families with kids but the Yankees and the Mets, it was their territory. They could block it. So what my parents and their partners did is they had this crazy idea. They're like, well, 
we don't really need Major League Baseball. What if we just start our own completely independent minor league? Uh, And they did that. Uh, It's called the Atlantic League. It still exists today. They put teams all up and down the East Coast. There actually are teams in Texas now in the Houston area and Virginia. But as a result of that, they got to put teams in you know the the Jersey Shore on Long Island, a lot of the communities in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, um, and they did great. Your folks were intimately involved in this kind of yes, building. Yeah, it they, out? they they were like wow. you know the founders with with their there were a couple other partners, but one main partner you know my parents were sort of the longest serving you know the original and the longest involved in this in the league uh you know for decades uh and um so yeah so this is all happening as i was growing up and i was like yeah this is normal <laughs> you know you just grew up you know a base minor league baseball kingpin exactly and it was um you know they i i came along on some of these trips with my my dad and uh and his business partner you go to these you know communities small towns and like meet with the mayor, meet with the local, you know, the local township and, and lobby them to build a stadium and talk about, you know, the virtues of America and minor league baseball and um, how great it would be for the community. That must have been fascinating to grow up watching and involved in. It was, but, you know, the crazy thing, and I think this is what, what the impact that it had on me was that was just normal. I didn't know anything else. I thought that was what you do. Uh, and so um, now, especially now with my daughter, I've realized consciously or unconsciously i've sort of modeled my life on the same thing like i i i don't you know have a job per se (laughs) i uh i run this podcast i built this community on the internet and and i sort of you know get to live my life according to according to my my rules (laughs) yeah it's it's um i I wouldn't i was going to call it serendipitous but i don't think that's the right word i think it's you know things certainly rhyme and it's interesting because between you know, you growing up and now to your com- uh, comment before you had some more uh, kind of like traditional roles, very similar to how your parents were at, you know, corporate law firms. So can you talk about, you know, that experience growing up and then between there and what you're doing now? I mean, what what were kind of some of the decision points and, and what were your experiences that have informed where you're at now? And what happened to the, the so the, the, the baseball system is still around? It's still around. Yep, it's still it's still doing great. Uh, by far, the most successful team uh, has been the Long Island Ducks, uh, which you know that thesis proved very correct. <laughs> Put a baseball, <laughs> a minor league baseball team on Long Island, you'll probably do well. And actually, it's really cool. The Atlantic League now, Major League Baseball has embraced it uh, after many years, and it's sort of the um, they've made it the like experimental test bed for changes to the game. So uh, when they were experimenting with robot umpires, they had the Atlantic League uh, do that first for a couple seasons, making various rule changes to the game. Uh, so it's really cool. It's become kind of a lab for the sport. Wow. And so is it affiliated with MLB now or is it totally separate? And they ask that league to... Totally separate organization, but they they now have a really good relationship with Major League Baseball. So, you know, things like that, major changes to the game where they don't want to introduce it, you know, without testing it first into, into the affiliate system uh the atlantic league is like oh great we're happy to do that (laughs) so yeah you know the journey again sort of just like my parents who went to law school worked corporate law for you know at least a decade of their careers i sort of did the same after undergrad i did investment banking i was at ubs uh starting in 2007 right before and then through and during the financial crisis and i did uh, technology media telecom coverage banking I was always really interested in 
technology, the internet, uh, Silicon Valley. But I wasn't quite, you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I was like the idea of actually like going to California was something I wanted to do, but it didn't seem like possible, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, of course, it was possible, but it was just like, oh, I'm going to stay in New York after after college. That's what all my my cohort was doing and do banking. What do you think but, the genesis of that interest was in tech and if I'm completely honest, I think it's probably video games. <laughs> uh, and I bet, I bet that's true for a lot of people in our generation. You know, I grew up playing all the consoles. I think I got an NES when I was three. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, and I just love video games. I'm still an avid gamer. And I just got really curious about like, shoot, how do these machines work? Like, and then I was like, oh, they're computers. <laughs> how, uh, you know, how do you make these games? How do you make software? And, um, then I started building, you know, PCs to play PC game, do PC gaming on when I was in high school and college. Uh, I just I was always fascinated. So you were it. like a garage tinker. Yes, a hundred percent. That's awesome. I'm learning so much new stuff about you. By the way, I've known <laughs> you for over ten years, and it, this is amazing. I know, but this is the great thing about podcasts. You get to have these. I love it. Conversations. Uh, uh, at some point, we're gonna have to, you know, flip the script here and and get your story, either this episode or another <laughs> one. <laughs> Maybe maybe in the hundred the hundredth episode, <laughs> the listeners want to know. So yeah, that's how I you know I just always had this interest and um, and I was just sort of gravitating towards technology. And then of course the internet, you know, was by the time we graduated from college, obviously a thing. But but we you know, were sort of the first generation that grew up. You know, we remember before the internet, and then when it happened, and you know, I got AOL when I think I was I don't know. 10 12 something like that like just the amazing doors that that unlocked so i did did tech uh, tech media telecom banking in in new york uh for a couple years after undergrad and then completely random uh, i was you know the financial crisis i wanted to get out of banking <laughs> there was i started my third year in banking because i literally couldn't get a you know private equity job <laughs> and um i ended up having an opportunity one, one of our um companies we covered was News Corp. Uh, and um, I ended up getting an opportunity within News Corp to go work at the Wall Street Journal. They'd acquired Dow Jones and the Wall Street Journal a few years before. And uh, I went in sort of like a corporate strategy role. Like there were, you know, two or three of us within Dow Jones and the Journal who sort of our little group reported to the CEO and any An early M&A. media experience yeah exactly any m&a we did were there any, any podcasters projects? in that ecosystem at that point that, <laughs> no you know? but you know in that cohort it was a great time to be at the journal folks a bunch of folks from that time left and started courts kara swisher and walt mossberg were doing all things d uh within the within dow jones and the journal at the time and um you know of course they've gone to got on to become incredibly successful and independent and there were just a lot of really talented people there and uh, and then of course you know i ended up doing sort of media <laughs> uh, but that was a great great year i did that for one year and i had told back when i was in banking you know folks may know when you're a junior investment banking analysts recruiters sort of swarm all over you for private equity jobs and there's a whole structured recruiting process and a few months into your first year you go interview with all the recruiters and then they send you out to talk to blackstone carlisle kkr yada 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 but i had told all these recruiters and this was you know two years before when i was going through this process hey i'm happy to go on private equity interviews but what i really want to do is venture capital so if you ever have any venture capital clients 
call me up. <laughs> and, uh, of course, then I didn't get private equity jobs. There were none in 2000. You know, nine. Well, yeah, not none. You got one. You were <laughs> you were lucky. <laughs> I think I slipped under the slipped under the door or something. It was it's probably an, a clerical error, but I'll take what I can get. You know, the narrative I tell myself is there were no jobs, but the reality was I just wasn't a great you know investment. I wouldn't have made a great private equity professional. And, uh, and then one day while I was at the Journal, after about a year, one of those old recruiters called me up and said, "Hey." I've got an early stage venture capital firm in Seattle that's recruiting for an associate. It's 2009. <laughs> and uh, I guess it was 2010 at that point. I remembered you from back in the day uh, a couple years ago. You said you really wanted to do this. Would you be interested in interviewing with them? And I said, absolutely. I will get on the next plane to Seattle. <laughs> and, uh, and that was what brought me to Madrona. Wow. Totally out of the blue. I mean, I guess you had talked to the guy, but he remembered and he circled back. That's that's awesome. Yeah. And and so Madrona uh, was and is the largest VC firm in Seattle. Uh, they were the first investors in Amazon and uh, still the founding partner, Tom Alberg, uh, was the longest serving Amazon board member besides Jeff Bezos. He was on the board from 1995, 96 until a couple of years ago. And eventually sort of the latter part of his tenure, he was the lead independent director for many years for Amazon. Um, and Madrona has done much, much more than that. They have a few billion under management now, but I got to come out and join as an associate right as the firm was sort of transitioning. They were on fund four, I think at that point. And there were, five or six partners, which Tom and, and the other founders were still there. And then there's sort of the next generation coming up, but the, the infrastructure hadn't, it was just starting to get built out. So I was the only real junior investment professional when I started. Uh, and I, I got to really apprentice in the, the VC business. Uh, you know, the day one, when I showed up, the partners sort of divvied me up amongst them and said, you know, okay, for each of us, you're going to join two or three boards with us as a board observer, come along to board meetings with us and obviously meet new entrepreneurs, wow. uh, that are pitching us. Um, and so I, I really got to observe and you know, sort of carry a briefcase, uh, so to speak to, uh, to board meetings and, and learn how to become a venture capitalist. And that was just a dream come true. It was amazing exposure. And, and I just loved it. Like, I had always had this inkling that venture capital was what I really wanted to do. And I thought, um, you know, I was so happy. I, I loved it. I thought I was like, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my career. I'm going to be a venture capitalist, <laughs> which is funny now. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, so when you got there and were kind of starting to be inserted in those conversations and meetings and things like that, what what were you feeling that where you knew this was, you know, scratching an itch you'd had for a while? What what sorts of conversations or what sorts of interactions or, or things got you, you know, gave you that confidence and that feeling? Well, I think there's two things. Like there's what I loved and what I thought I loved about it. What I actually loved about it and has carried through to my life and career today was meeting with entrepreneurs, talking with entrepreneurs, telling entrepreneurs stories, you know, just the entrepreneurial journey. I think again, going back to my upbringing, like that was so like every entrepreneurial story is unique. And I just loved that 
all of a sudden my whole job, my whole career was meeting entrepreneurs, learning their stories, learning about their business, and then investing in and helping them, you know, sort of along that journey. And that was what I loved about it. And and it was building new things. It was technology. You know, it was the combination of the entrepreneurship I grew up with at a much larger scale, plus the internet and technology. And so that, and I thought that was like, ah, this is it. And I thought, you know, people would ask me, because I was still pretty young at this point. And I ended up going to business school. Madrona sponsored me to go to, to GSB, which is where I met this character here who <laughs> who is our our uh, <laughs> uh our, uh, our our host uh here and um but I, but I went back after business school and I thought this is my my entrepreneurial journey is going to be helping <laughs> other entrepreneurs and I thought I don't you know I have no desire to do it myself but people you know mentors both within Madrona and outside Madrona would be like you know okay great like if you love being a VC we're happy for you to keep doing this but do you ever want to be an entrepreneur yourself? And I was like, no, 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 definitely not. I <laughs> don't need to do that. <laughs> and I think that's what I was sort of, maybe not lying to myself about, but I didn't quite realize uh, that, um, you know, again, sort of like my parents, I did have an entrepreneurial journey in me sort of, you know, later in, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in my thirties, you know, I, I wasn't going to be just like they weren't the person who started companies in my twenties. But I did sort of have an entrepreneurial journey in me, <laughs> and that's what Acquired has become. Can you talk about how that journey kind of began? Because it started kind of organically, and I don't want to kind of ruin the story, but as is almost like a side passion project, and then has evolved into a, you know, what many listeners will know as a pretty significant kind of enterprise and community. So I'd love to hear how that journey started, and then we can... uh then maybe we can nerd out on uh, both the kind of explosion in the audience and also, you know, just how podcast as a business kind of works. Yes, yes, yes. So the journey started after GSB, after business school, when I came back to Madrona and we had uh, started our our, then partner, Greg Gottesman, who was really the person who championed hiring me in the first place into Madrona and then certainly championed me coming back along, along with other folks there too. Um, he had started within Madrona, this thing called Madrona labs. And the idea was that we were going to hire some engineers, product managers, you know, a few sort of, um, business minded people, uh, as a dedicated unit within Madrona to start come build products and start companies within the firm. And that then we would spin them out, and, and recruit is know. that a is that a new was that a novel does that happen now or is that totally it does so that's great. not a traditional or at least was a traditional wasn't a traditional vc there were a few examples of it it um the genesis of it came from a company called rover.com that greg was on the board of an organization called startup weekend which was this amazing organization that uh sadly doesn't exist in the same way now but they would put on these these weekend hackathons all around the world. And the idea was people who are interested in building a, something over a weekend would come, they'd register, anybody could pitch an idea for a product or a company on Friday night. And then teams would form 
And uh, over the weekend, you would build a kind of MVP of the product and see if you could get anybody using it. And then there'd be a, a competition on Sunday and they would have judges come and Greg judged many of them for, you know, winners would be declared. And, and most of the, almost all the projects, you know, that was the end of it. But some of them became real companies, including Branch Metrics, <laughs> which was, you know, fellow folks from, from our class uh, at GSP. The real origins of the product of Branch, even though the, the story took some twists and turns along the way, but was our first year at GSP. There was a startup weekend on campus, and uh, Alex and um, Alex Austin, the CEO, uh, and, and I was on the on the team. Uh, we built a product called Linkfish that we called it during the project during the startup weekend, and and that is the product that the core product that Branch is, you know, today, and it's a billion dollar plus, you know. Uh, valuation company um so there are tons of stories like that so back to my story before gsb when uh when i had started at madrona greg and i went to one of the startup weekends in seattle it was actually at the amazon campus and greg had the idea to uh, that he pitched at this startup weekend to build airbnb for dogs <laughs> airbnb existed it was a hot startup at that point in time this was 2011 and uh he did he led led a team during the during the weekend and then that that team that product won the startup weekend a little biased because a couple of our other madrona partners were the judges <laughs> but um <laughs> but it was a real need and we called it rover we called it rover and uh, ended up becoming rover.com and then on monday after the startup weekend we were you know in our partner meeting and um we were like gosh we did this thing over the weekend and like this is actually kind of a cool idea and uh and the, you know, the airbnb for dogs being that like it was sort of a reverse airbnb when you if you're a dog parent when you go out of town if you don't have family in town who can watch your dog like what are you gonna do do you want to be you know, old school when we were growing up you'd put the dog in a kettle in a kennel but you know a big change that's happened over the last couple decades with you know our millennial generation versus our parents is like dogs are now family members they used to be pets now they're family members and the idea of putting you know we have we have a dog golden doodle named tanny who we love we would never put her in a kennel like she has to be with a home <laughs> and um and so that's what what rover was and is was uh people who live in a city who love dogs say i'll take your dog in <laughs> when uh when you go out of town wow and uh you know, it's now uh, it's now a public company, and and so we had built that kind of within Madrona. We were like, okay, well, like we have this, we have this startup week up weekend team. We hired a couple people from the startup weekend team, built it within Madrona, and that worked pretty well. And so then we were like, well, why don't we institutionalize this and do this uh, more often? How does that? Um, just to nerd nerd out with you for a sec on that. How does do the if something is incubated in a fund or, or, you know, in a, at a VC firm, are the economics with that significantly different than if an entrepreneur comes with an idea? And I mean, it's gotta be a little bit different because you guys are putting a lot of effort into sourcing the idea and kind of spinning it up and building an MVP. How, how does it differ kind of economically? Yes. So like everything in the world, there are trade-offs and, um, you know, I think we felt at the time, and uh, you know, certainly we'd had this great experience with Rover. Like, gosh, this is great. Why don't we do this all the time? You know, we own, we start off owning 100% of the company <laughs> versus, you know, when we, when you invest, you invest, you know, a few million dollars for 
much less than 100% of the company. Like these economics are great. It's just a different set of challenges, though, because ultimately, if you're incubating companies within a venture firm, you reach a point if, if the product is good and the company has potential to be successful, where either whoever's running the project within the venture firm has to be like, okay, am I going to go become CEO of this company now and, and run this? So like, are we going to carve out team members from the venture firm to go you know, be the founders of this company. And then that's weird, right? Because like, if you're, you know, say if we had gone off and like become the management team of Rover, where are we then going to quit Madrona? Like, and then what are the economics going to be? Is Madrona going to continue to own any, everything? Or like, should we get the equity? Like, um, that becomes complicated. It's a super fascinating, I didn't mean to jump in and interrupt, but it's, it's a super fascinating kind of like inversion of the traditional VC that I think to some extent reveals drivers of economic value between like, you know, how much this is a very high level thought, but you know, how much of the split of the economics goes to the idea generation versus how much of the economics go to, to the kind of purpose and community of this show, like the builders of that entity and the people who are going to be working their butts off to, you know, build it up. And then ultimately there's a lot of additional pieces of value uh, to building out a company, but the reason I pushed on that because I, I just figured it was a kind of a fascinating thought experiment. On, totally on is, and then, how economic value. Well, and then where you know you, you play out that thought experiment, and you're like, you realize that a huge, you know, the ideas are important, you know, and you know, uh, resources to build something are important, right? But like, at the end of the day, if you're going to build a company, you know, Rover's still going. We're now eleven years later, <laughs> and Aaron, the CEO, is doing a great job, and. Brent, the COO, and so many people that were there in the ori- in the original days. But like, if we had gone and run it, then we would still be running it. You know, like you're essentially like being like, well, shoot, my you know investors, my partners of the firm, like now they're gone. Like you can't go be a full time investor and a full time CEO running a startup. Like that, that doesn't work. Um, people do it, but like it's it's mostly that doesn't work. So you have to recruit teams uh, to come in and and run. So then like. Then you got to negotiate equity with the teams and all. Anyway, it's a very, it is now a discipline and a, um, a whole industry of venture studios of which Greg and my acquired co-host Ben, who's going to come into the story here in a sec, left and started Pioneer Square Labs as a dedicated venture startup studio to do this. And that makes so much more sense, I think, than doing it within a venture firm. Because like I said, just like the way you structure this just the staffing the personnel like are you going to be losing your your gps to go now run companies there's so many questions within a venture firm but you can structure a studio in a dedicated way to to do this how does that work then how does and uh, you know don't need to go into specifics if you if that's not an area that you know kind of complements the story but how how does how does a structure work differently in a studio than in kind of a traditional yeah, well, you should have my you should have my partner Ben on to talk about it. <laughs> he can speak much more authoritatively than me. But the big difference is it's structured as an operating company. So the, or at least PSL is the PSL Venture Studio is an operating company with employees, and the two main functions that they do within the operating company are build MVPs of products and recruit founding teams who come in at the like to work on the idea together the, the big realization is that like you could have an idea within the studio within a venture firm to build a product but then like 
if it's your idea and you're running with it and then it gets traction, you reach this point where you're like, shoot, am I now the CEO of this company? <laughs> and so instead, Wait it's much, someone's got to build this. Yeah, exactly. It's much better to have the CEOs, the founders come in and have it be their idea that you're working on together. And all of that, like those are not core competencies of a venture firm. I totally agree. And for context, you know, when we're looking at buying businesses and, you know, sometimes there are people we have in mind to run them. Sometimes, you know, the people that are uh, running those businesses continue to run them. Uh, but sometimes we'll need to determine if there's an outside person to bring in, if there isn't, you know, an obvious person. And so I've thought a lot about this as well in different contexts, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on an experience or, or, kind of guess as to why it's more important to engage those, you know, folks who are going to be doing the building earlier on or as early as possible in that yeah, process. I think, well, again, you, you totally should have Ben on and, and uh, he'll have much more <laughs> uh, informed and experience driven thoughts on this than me. What you're doing and the venture studio are similar. And I think there's some di- same dynamics, but also different in that when you're buying a company, you know what the company does like it exists like there's operation like there's not a there may be problems or things to fix or figure out but like when you're starting a company you got to figure everything out you don't know what this is gonna look like (laughs) you know you don't there's so much you don't know i mean the stuff like you know rover the core original idea is still a big part of the business and was something you know that worked on for a long but dog walking became a huge part of the business like there's just so much you don't know that you got to discover when you're building a company when you're building a product and that like you can't operationalize that really you know that's like customer discovery that's product discovery that's like you can't just go hire like oh okay great i'm gonna go recruit a vp of xyz and they're gonna do this it's like no no no. you're like founders got to figure out the business and that's what you just can't like I think it just becomes really, really tough and tough to disentangle if venture capitalists are doing that. <laughs> and then, you know, like the handoff is, is is difficult. Yeah, it makes total sense. I took you off track a little bit. But so how, so Ben is off uh, kind of helping start this PSL. And Madrona then Labs. All con- well, it was Madrona, Madrona Labs, Labs and then they left and, and spun it out into PSL. But um, yeah, so Ben... <laughs> This is where Ben enters the story and the acquired journey starts. I had just come back from GSB. Rover had started before I went to GSB and then was having great success during our time there. And then when I came back, we as a firm and, and Greg, you know, was championing like we we should really do this in an institutional way. And so one of the people he recruited to come in and sort of build that function within Madrona, sort of you know, a prototype of you know what a what a lab what a venture studio could become like was ben <laughs> and ben was a <laughs> this is such a fun story ben was a superstar pm at microsoft at the time and he was really involved with startup weekend uh, he had done a ton of them he facilitated a ton of them that was how he got to know greg and we recruited ben uh, greg recruited ben to come be, to be sort of founder of this madrona labs idea and uh, away from Microsoft, he agreed to join, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It was all set. And literally the weekend before the Monday that he was going to go tell Microsoft, you know, that he was leaving to come do this at Madrona, uh, which he did. <laughs> On the Sunday Seattle Times, there's a front page cover story 
about how Ben Gilbert is leading, you know, the future of young people at Microsoft and is the oh. next generation of leaders at Microsoft. Oh, no. <laughs> it was such funny timing. And then literally the next day, he was like, yeah, and I'm leaving. <laughs> about that. About that. About that. But yes, Ben is obviously a superstar. Uh, and so that was how we met we, we through the recruiting process. And we just became such good friends. And um, and that's an acquired started. Ben came to me, you know, we we just... We had this budding friendship. We both were super nerdy about technology, about entrepreneurship. And um, whenever we would get together in the office or get drinks after work or hang out on the weekends, we'd talk about companies and uh, and company building. And and Ben's I had the idea. He was like, we should, well, what do you think about starting a podcast together? Uh, and this was 2015. And podcasts were not new. Podcasts have been around since the iPod, but they were just at the beginning of the mainstream moment. I think Serial was out at that point. Like they were just progressing beyond. It was early like, on. Yeah, but it was just it was just crossing the chasm from like really nerdy techie people that were loading MP3s of people talking onto their iPods <laughs> to something that was like actually a whole class of media that mainstream people listen to and so we were so lucky that we started acquired um right at that moment so tell me about the early days so and has it kind of evolved since in terms of the content what was the initial because obviously there are some companies that get acquired that you all talk about but it's evolved to be significantly more than that in terms of content so how how did it start and and how did it evolve and and by the way i you know me well enough uh, to know that I am a total business nerd. So if I have a beer and an hour with friends within the first, you know, probably 30 seconds, it's going to go to business nerd talk. So I love <laughs> I love all that content. But I, I'd love to hear the story of how it started and how it evolved over time. Yeah. So obviously the podcast is called Acquired. When Ben came to me with this idea of starting a podcast together, gosh, I can't remember the exact conversations, but I... I remember and imagine them going something like me being like, wow, I, I don't listen to podcasts. You know, I don't really know much about it, but like, I love you. This sounds like a great excuse to hang out. Like, sure. And then, so we started brainstorming on ideas of like, what would the podcast be about? We had several of them. One of them, the two finalists that we landed on were acquired, which I'll get to in a second. And the other one was, <laughs> stories of companies that have innovated you know category leading innovative products more than once uh so like you know, amazon a classic example or microsoft or the like and thank god we didn't do that because um you know there's not gonna be the of, name of it i, I don't mouthful. even know what we were gonna name it but that was gonna be the topic and uh that would not have been a very deep topic but actually acquisitions weren't either so the idea for acquired was technology acquisitions that went well. You know, we were thinking about PayPal, we were thinking about YouTube, we were thinking about Android. Like, we felt like, oh gosh, there's so many great stories. And we are venture capitalists and, and company builders in, in Ben's example, in a case, we want to learn what makes for successful outcomes. You know, gosh, this it was so quaint, you know, not that long ago, but it just feels like a different era. You know, most as a VC back then, you were, you know, yeah, some companies would go public and whatnot, but like, you're really playing for 
acquisitions. <laughs> and so we were like, okay, we like, that's our goal. <laughs> how do we, you know, how do we work backwards from the goal? What can we you know, learn along the way? So the idea was we would tell the stories and analyze acquisitions, technology acquisitions that went well. <laughs> and, um, that was the kernel of it. And then we just kept expanding. How many of those did you have before you ran out of, uh, ran out of ones to talk about? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a number have gone well. I'm kind of saying that tongue in cheek, but. Oh, yeah. They, you know, do you run out plenty. of content? I would say we probably did maybe 15 to 20, maybe 15 episodes on that time. You know, the first episode was Instagram, which I was the greatest example of that of all time. Uh, and we did Pixar, we did PayPal, we did Bungie, uh, which is the makers of Halo that Microsoft acquired for $30 million. And then now has been since been long eclipsed, but Halo, I think generated something like $5 billion of cash flow for Microsoft out of a $30 million acquisition. Um, incredible. Uh, and, uh, so anyway, we told some of these great stories and then, and then we kind of like, Hmm. All right pool's getting a little shallow here <laughs> but we love doing this and we love doing it together and we'd started to have like you know a very small number of listeners then but, but people were listening and discovering the podcast and um so we thought so this is first, like 15 16 that time frame this is now probably into sometime in 2016 maybe early 2017 man yeah, between then now yeah, around around definitely in 2016 we're like, well, okay, what if we expand our universe from just acquisitions to exits of all types? And we can tell IPO stories, you know, in addition to acquisitions. And so then for a good couple of years, the only things we would do on Acquired were tell a story of an exit. <laughs> like there was, you know, an acquisition or an IPO. We'd tell the story of the IPO. <laughs> it was so silly now looking back on it. But we thought that's what well, people only want to hear about exits or we should only do that. And then... In 20, I believe it was 2018, we decided to cover Tesla. And the idea was we were going to, you know, we started the research process for it and the prep work. So we're going to cover the IPO because Tesla had gone public. And then just through researching, we were like, gosh, there is a lot to this story. And like the IPO is not the interesting part. (laughs) This was now before the whole 420 funding secured like uh but it's still just this amazing story <laughs> and uh we recorded the episode it ended up being can you a, give two a few f- can you give a few and and we can and, and should and will link to that episode in our show notes but can you give a few of the like you know fireworks or highlights from that oh yeah story because I, I feel like you all do a really good job of researching and then digesting a story for your audience well, that's and the, the, that episode we'd started to do this, you know, leading up to Tesla, but th- that was the first one where there are just so many things about the story. You know, like Elon Musk was not a founder of Tesla; it was founded by two other guys. Uh, really? Yeah, I had literally no idea. Yep, and Elon was full time on SpaceX. You know, it was post PayPal. He was building SpaceX, which is you know. We also did an episode on the history of SpaceX. That was another crazy story. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And Elon was became an investor. Uh, just as an angel investor in, in Tesla. And then they couldn't raise money. And there were all sorts of problems with the company. And then eventually Elon was like, well, I believe in what you're doing. And I'll let you go. Like, fine, I'll just, I'll become your largest investor just as an individual. Because he had all the money from, you know, from PayPal. He hadn't yet sunk it all into, into SpaceX. 
And so he ended up buying a lot of the, the percentage of the company. All sorts of stuff happened. The original founders, um, there's lots of sides to every story, right? Like, But certainly they were not going to or capable of turning tesla into what elon has turned tesla into <laughs> and so then there was a whole you know drama about how elon essentially just took it over and anyway so we, we told all this story the episode ended up being two hours long and i remember jenny my wife saying wow. to me, like what the hell are you doing who's gonna listen to you and ben <laughs> just talk to each other for two hours like you know this um seems crazy Business to say now, but, like but, me but, like you know our episode totally well this is what so so podcasts no podcasts were that long at this point in time i guess rogan was around but he was still just you know wasn't joe rogan as we know him today yet there were almost no podcasts that were this long it it was this you know you got to do the npr style format you know half an hour 45 minutes an hour max we're like yeah but it's such a good story and we're having fun and we put it out (laughs) and it just you know people loved it and we loved it and then we started doing, and we just called it Tesla, uh, if I remember right. We didn't call it the Tesla IPO. Like before that, we had titled every episode the Facebook IPO, Facebook's acquisition of Instagram. You know, like it was all around this exit. We're just like, nah, the story, it's, this is just the story of Tesla. And, um, and it just like, I think, you know, the audience loved it. Our listeners loved it. But more than that, we loved it. And we were like, Let's do that. <laughs> and uh, and that's what Acquired became. And and so we, we, we tell the stories of companies. And it was just technology companies. It still is mostly technology companies. Um, but we did Berkshire Hathaway. We did three episodes, 10 hours worth of content on Berkshire Hathaway. We did Standard Oil. Wow. Uh, we just did Brooks Running, which is part of our arena show, which is you know a, a Berkshire Hathaway company. What I love about what you all do and where I think you significantly kind of differentiated from all the other podcasts out there is the depth to which you guys went in these stories. Cause a lot of times people will know, you know, the high level bullets, but they won't know, they won't have done the research that you all have done. And that's for me, at least what was really interesting is that the depth to which you guys went and your kind of packaging up of that depth, but not losing any of the detail or the interesting aspects to kind of the story so I, I love where you all kind of evolved to i'd love to hear kind of now so you're, you've moved beyond kind of the concept of acquired and you started doing these kind of deep dives on company stories and you know have continued doing that to great success i'd love to hear how how is the kind of the community and the business and you know last week you you did a literally a show in a arena so you know take me from you and ben kind of nerding out on tesla for two hours to being in an arena in seattle (laughs) yesterday or or last week yeah pretty wild right so yeah right around not too long before we did the tesla episode but before but not too long uh we had taken our first sponsorship of the podcast silicon valley bank was our first sponsor before that this was not a business at all there's no revenue there was nothing (laughs) about this was intended to be a business venture it was purely just ben and i you know love doing it and uh it was about hanging out with each other, sharing, learning in public, sharing with you know our community that that had developed. We took our first sponsorship from SVB, and gosh, I'll never forget. You know, it, it was you know very 
very, very small. <laughs> you know, we both have full-time jobs working as venture capitalists. Like it was not at most, I think I said to Ben, like, oh, maybe someday we might make enough money from acquired as like this, you know, side project that we could each, we could each go on nice vacations or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, we surveyed our audience after, after, um, the, the SVB sponsorship and we asked, you know, have, did you notice SVB as a sponsor or did, did, uh, you know, what did you think of it? Did it, did it have some impact on your, you know, how you viewed SVB? And, uh, we had, I think at the time, our total audience size, if I had to guess was maybe 20 or 30,000 people, um, listening who are subscribed to the podcast. And, uh, we had about 600 responses to this survey. And of those 600 responses, about 25 or 30 people said, I'm a founder, I'm an entrepreneur or a CEO or, or a founder. Uh, of an early stage startup and because of hearing about svb and the um, conversations you had with them as part of the sponsorship that had a impact on my decision to start a banking relationship with them for my company <laughs> we then later learned that the ltv through through a few friends i won't say what the number is but the svb's you know ltv of the, the value of a new banking relationship with a, you know, series A stage company to them is worth a lot of money. <laughs> and so we were like, holy What's crap. Like order of magnitude. What is that? What is it like an, you know, an LTV? In the, in the high six figures uh, per company. Wow. And so we were like, holy crap. We just delivered millions, <laughs> many millions of dollars of value. And that was just the people that responded to the survey. And that's when we realized we were like, well, we realized two things. One, on the community side, you said, we realized that like we had this amazing community. You know, our audience is also part of these surveys. We, we get back, it was, you know, a third of our audience. It's, it's about now about a quarter of our audience are founders of companies, of which 15% of our audience are CEOs of companies. And of the rest of our audience, about a third of our audience are investors of some type, you know, VCs, you know, all the way now through public markets. And then of the remaining bucket, most of them work in tech or engineers or PMs or whatnot, but almost all of them want to start companies someday. Like they are the future founders. <laughs> and so we realized, wow, we have this amazing community of people and we should engage with them. Like these are people we want to know and, and be friends with and have in our professional networks and they also want to know each other. Um, and that is just the, maybe the most valuable audience in the world for, for sponsors to reach. So that sort of started us on, we kind of had that in the back of our minds. And then, and then the beginning of 2020, like I said, at the top of the show about two and a half years ago, uh, I decided I kind of had enough conviction and I had left Madrona and started a, another venture capital firm, moved down here to San Francisco. And I thought, you know, gosh, the value of what we're building and acquired and the fun I'm having doing it with Ben and with our community, <laughs> that just feels like a lot more potential than being a VC anymore, as much as I loved it. And uh, so, he's, yeah, so we, we, I left, I went, I went full time on, on Acquired and we have an amazing set of sponsors now, uh, companies, basically anybody who we think is a great product or service or capital provider that wants to reach founders and CEOs, um, we're a great destination to do that. So <laughs> the business has, has grown um, incredibly. Yeah. And I'd love to hear if you can share a bit of that broader ecosystem that you all have built, because you kind of left being a VC, but you still have, you know, 
access to all these businesses and you're providing a lot of value to these founders and these companies. And, you know, there's probably angel investments that come from that. In addition, you've, you all have built kind of this Slack community and you've got arena shows, you know, can, <laughs> can you talk about the kind of reinforcing value that you've built to the this community and the different kind of venues, both literal and uh, you know, figurative that, yes. that you're providing that in? Yes. Um, the realization I had around this was from, you know, through 2017, 2018, 2019, I thought of myself as a venture capitalist who had a podcast on the side. And then I realized like, oh no, I'm now a podcaster who has a venture capital <laughs> uh, opportunity on the side. <laughs> At least you know that's sort of my perspective on it. But um, but we had started this Slack community for people who wanted to engage with us and other you know people who loved the show. We'd done some in person events, meetups. We just had these amazing people join, and the Slack community. You know, at that this point in time was a few thousand people. Now it's twelve thousand people. And I see we started getting hearing from people that like they were meeting each other in Slack. They were, you know, people were meeting VCs and raising money for their companies. People were talking about ideas, meeting co-founders in in this in the Slack. And this uh, is in the the acquired Slack that you all set up. Yep. Acquired.fm slash Slack. Anybody can can join. We started getting DMs. I started getting DMs of like from founders, like, hey, I I, I started this company. Do you want to chat about investing? Uh, is it a uh, you know amazing really successful company called hive hive logistics based in germany started by some mckinsey young mckinsey guys who are at mckinsey in london who are german wanted to go back to germany start a company they dm'd me in slack now a year and a half two years ago and said hey you know we're big fans of acquired we're sort of inspired you know we want to we want to start a company we want to become entrepreneurs would you be open to chatting i get on a zoom with them i chat uh, i'm like i really like what you're you guys are doing and i ended up becoming an angel investor you know now they're one of the largest e-commerce logistics companies in europe <laughs> they raised wow. a huge round from tiger last year like uh just like that's just one example like so many of these things started happening both the community interacting with each other and then us with the community and so yeah fast forward to today acquired as just sort of grown we now have about two hundred fifty thousand subscribers in total twelve thousand people in the slack you know, we're back doing in-person events amazingly. Uh, you know, we did this uh, arena show in Seattle last week. We had a thousand people come live to that, which was amazing. And people for the flew show, in but then, for that, right? People flew in. Uh, yes, you know, hundreds of people flew in for that, and um, and like the show was great and the content. But then afterwards, like you know, we one of our one of our sponsors, uh, Vouch, one of our partners, sponsored an after party afterwards at a big beer hall, and like hundreds of people were there. And just looking around, it's like, wow, you know, this is what people get. Like, the content hopefully is great. Hopefully people love it. But, like, in that room, in the hall afterwards and at the show, at the arena, before, during, after, like, just the energy, like, people meeting each other, talking to each other. I was like, I guarantee, like, companies are getting founded, you know, right now. Like, people are meeting co-founders. Relationships are being built. Business is happening in this community. Um, it was, like, a very tangible, like, seeing it. Uh and so now fast forward to today, I have a fund um, called Kindergarten Ventures that I run with my friend, uh, Nat Manning, who, another similar story, uh, he, um, we met in kindergarten, but then had lost touch. A couple years ago, he DM'd me in the Acquired Slack and was like, hey, I started listening to Acquired, you know, I remember you, um, 
I'm starting this this company. You want to chat about it? We went for a hike in the Berkeley Hills. That company's called Kettle. They're doing amazingly well now. He and I have started this this um, venture firm with this fund on AngelList together. And we it's about as if now we're on fund two. The first fund was three million. The second fund is fifteen million. And we invest, you know, in our communities uh, like this. And um, so yeah, it's it's now you know. I'm podcasting. And you with all knew a, each other a, in kindergarten. Is that the uh, is that the genesis of the name? That is the genesis Adventure? of the name. Yes, <laughs> it's not about only investing in seed companies or early companies. <laughs> no, no, no. Nat and I met in kindergarten. <laughs> Very cool. I mean, the serendi- uh, serendipity probably isn't the right word. Again, I'm I'm kind of misusing that word, but the um, the power that comes from building a community and then allowing connections to organically happen and kind of the compounding that happens in that mixing pot is is pretty amazing especially as you all have kind of thought very intentionally i think around how you've built it in a way that that kind of supports and reinforces that community well it's been intentional and unintentional i think um this may be good uh uh transition to your to your closing questions uh but i i think the um our intentionality has always been two things one that we, Ben and I, genuinely have fun and we are pursuing what is going to turn us on. And I believe that, like, well, hey, that that's just what we want to do. Uh, but I think that then translates to the content being great because we love, like, you can tell, especially in a podcast, it's such a personal medium. You can tell when somebody's phoning it in or not having fun. So, so, so that's one. But then on the community side, the, like, we've also been incredibly intentional. We're like, we realized from the beginning, we have these amazing people who are way smarter than us, who are more accomplished than us, who, are, who will be more accomplished than us, who listen. We shouldn't talk to them like they're kindergartners, you know, or like they're idiots. And, and that's what, not a beef, but uh, has traditionally in podcasts, like the NPR style of talking to your audience like they're dumb or like they don't know anything about what you're talking about we go the opposite we're like we assume our audience knows more about this than we do <laughs> and is smarter than we are and talk to them on that level <laughs> uh and so those two things and then engage with the community on that level we didn't plan out intentionally we're gonna have this slack we're gonna have this fund like etc it was but it was always like we believe that our community is amazing if we treat them as such what can we do? <laughs> yeah, an amazing um, story and community you've built kind of some purposely and some, you know, just organically, but it's all come out of just a clear kind of passion and intellectual curiosity and friendship that you and Ben have. So it's been amazing to watch. I also really enjoyed this conversation because I've known you for over 10 years and I've learned some new stuff. So that's been that's been a lot of fun. I close every conversation with the same two questions. I've kind of tried to set it up like a take a penny, leave a penny dish at a gas station. But in this context, leaving something and taking something for the community of aspiring or uh, current business builders uh, in our community. So on the kind of leave a leave one side of things, I'd love to hear if there's something specific, either, you know, a business insight or a trick or a book or a habit or something that um, has enabled you to build acquired and and that kind of podcast and, and ecosystem or your life uh, as it is that you think might be helpful to to our community yeah 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 absolutely well especially thinking about you know the types of businesses that you work with at enduring and um you know acquire and 
champion. I think the thing that I would leave it, you know, just biased by my own story here, uh, but is that there can be so much temptation in the like standard road in a career in business is, is do what you think, you know, customers want or what you're supposed to do or the like, but gosh, like none of this would have happened for acquired. And for me, if we hadn't just done what I loved, you know, and it's trite, right? Like people say like, do what you love, but like, you know, and the whole, like, oh, remember at GSB when it was like, what are you passionate about? Find what you're passionate about. And people, you know, <laughs> that would translate to like, I'm passionate about enterprise software. Like, you know, whatever, like you find some people are right. But like, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I was passionate about like, nerding out about stuff in conversation with my best bud ben you know <laughs> and and everybody would have been like okay yeah like fine you sure you do that on your free time but that's not business you know like i just think in today's world with the internet like everybody's got something that they just love and if you just do what you love on the internet good things are going to happen so that, that's what I, I would leave yeah especially with if you're doing what you like low expectation of payoff initially and you and you know a commitment to keep doing it even if it's you know doesn't have any economic benefit right away because certainly for you all you all were just doing it for love of doing it and then it kind of snowballed into what it is i'm glad you brought that up because i when i was writing down and thinking earlier about what i wanted to leave (laughs) i realized i didn't say that part that was the most important part the second piece i was going to say that is exactly what you said of like do that and and don't have any set expectations of it you know i also talk to friends and people like oh i'm going to do this and I'm going to sell sponsorships right away. I want to start, you know, like, no, 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 don't do that. Let it come. Just be willing to do something for a long time <laughs> and good things will come if you love it. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, I, I, uh, I do too. And I'm excited for kind of the journey in, in this podcast and, and building the community. I get to talk to folks like yourself and, and, and other super interesting folks, which I love and I love nerding out on. So, oh man, I'm so glad you're doing it. Can't wait to watch the journey. Yeah, we will. I'm sure we'll be talking over beers or something. So the last question is for you, what can our listeners, our community, the platform, if we had a magic wand, what, you know, what could we be helpful for you, for Ben, for Acquired, for whatever you're working on? You know, how can we be helpful? What what penny can we leave for you? Ah, well, this is such an easy one. Although I feel a little bad. I don't want to, you know, you're building your own community here. I don't want to exfiltrate your community to ours, but if what if this story is res- if my story has resonated with you at all or you this seems like something you'd enjoy subscribe to acquire it listen to, listen to the show join the slack community that's the biggest thing like that's the magic of it like the amazing smart fantastic ambitious people listen enjoy join the community like that is the biggest thing and the more of those that we have the more exponential value everybody gets yeah and i uh I mean, you all have amazing content and amazing community, and I think it's very complimentary. I'm a I'm an abundance mindset thinker, and and uh, my goal in doing this show and and hopefully building this community is to get the folks that are listening, you know, the the best tools and and content that they have for what they they want to do. So I'd love for them. I mean, I think you guys have some great stuff. So highly supportive of of folks uh, checking out uh, acquired. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Jory. This has been a blast. Thanks, David. Been amazing and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing the journey. Next time, you're going to do the talking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the episode. To join the Built to Outlast community and access episodes, show notes, and other community resources, please visit builttooutlast.com. 
If you have or know a business that may be sold and care who the buyer is or want to build a business and care who you do it with, please visit Enduring.co to learn more about us, our long-term approach, and our holding company. 